Score a great deal at Dan Murphy's for the footy finals. Beat the crowd and shop online at danmurphys.com.au for delivery in under two hours or pick up in under 30 minutes. Kick off the footy finals at Dan Murphy's. Conditions apply. Choose to drink wise. Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast, proudly sponsored by Subway. Nothing's as big as a footlong. Jared Barker keeping the host seat warm once again while the great man Matt Walsh is away. It's a lot of holidays he's taken this year, Jake. We've got to do something about that. But, um, welcome to you, Champion Data's Christian Jolly. With us as always, Ron Connolly joining us again today to break down another week of finals footy. We're just edging closer and closer now. Guys, four teams remaining, prelim final week, only three games left, if you can believe it. The Pies roll on, the Lions break a hoodoo, the Ds bomb out in straight sets. There's a lot going on, Jake. Welcome. Oh, it's all happening. Um, and I tell you what, I'm getting very nervous about the Pies. That that st- I'm starting to regret what I said a couple of weeks ago, to be to be completely honest with you. They're looking good. I might take advantage of what you said, and I'll just make you can pay for my membership next year. Well, well you got to be in the. You got to be in it to win it. So, have you put your, have you put your name on Twitter? Have we actually put a poll out there, or a or a request for people to that are Collingwood fans that are interested in a membership for next year? Yeah, we should do that actually. Mm, before maybe I take we'll wait. Advantage. We'll see if they beat Sydney. You then did. I'm, then I'm really panicking if they beat Sydney. You did tip Brisbane last week, though. So well done. Well, yeah. Well, that can can that offset the the Collingwood call? <laughs> Roko, you've been on deck at the G for us this final series. Do you think these are the right four teams remaining? Uh, yeah, I do. I do. Um, I was just reflecting on how great a season it's been. Um, mm. Probably in the context of the last few. I, I reckon we've had some pretty ordinary footy in the last few years. Yep. The last year was a bit better, but I think this year's been better again. Um, so many close games, so many uh, comebacks, great stories. And I think these are the four best teams, You know, which is funny because we're excluding a side that won its first 10 games and was the reigning premier. But over the journey... Well, they won 17 games in a row. Yeah. Mm. But, you know, like uh, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but you look back on the quality of those 10 wins now and think well, a few of them were less than convincing. But I, I, I think these four, I think, um, you know, Brisbane's rating has gone up substantially via two great finals wins. I think Geelong's been clearly the standout team. Collingwood clearly the story and Sydney sort of the quiet achiever almost still underrated something yeah well we've been underrating them for 25 years now so it shouldn't be that big a surprise but they yeah I'm, I'm really happy with these four teams that are remaining and I think we'll get hopefully uh, three great in uh, games uh, yep. the 205th 6th and 7th of yep. the season I think and why do I know that figure because we watch about 198 of them and uh, it's a long haul but uh, you know look it's been in all uh, seriousness it's been a fantastic season I can't wait for those preliminaries and the grand final it's been an extraordinary final series as well as you just said but before we do get into it guys something you notice from the weekend of footy Jake we might start with you yeah well just uh, carrying on the theme about Collingwood and something else that's making me even more nervous so I stumbled across this online and yeah it's it's made me really worried so Apparently, Collingwood has won the flag every year a royal monarch has died. How nervous are you feeling I'm right now? Are petrified. you sweating? I am really nervous now. The whole year, I just didn't believe in Collingwood. I think I was like you, Rowan. I, I had them to finish bottom two. was not high on them at all. Even when 
almost stubbornness to the point where it's like they were playing well and I didn't want to believe that they could be good and I was stuck to my guns and said, this team's not going all the way. I'll be the first to put my hand up and say I was wrong if they do go all the way. And I think even now I can admit they've made a prelim final. Even if they get beaten by 10 goals, I was wildly wrong about the Pies this year and it's been a great story. Um, but if they do beat Sydney, and I think they're, I think that game is much closer to a 50-50 than what, what uh, the bookmakers would lead you to believe. If they do win, I think they will win on grand final day regardless of who they play. That's there's a, a feeling, there's a feeling, isn't there? I, I sort, I don't think they will, but I have a feeling that uh, they would give Geelong, presuming Geelong wins, a, 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 a much, a, a much bigger run for their money than Sydney would. And, and no offence to Sydney, I rate Sydney, but there's something about Collingwood's belief and and the passion being generated about it. I know. You look at it and you think, oh, it's all a bit namby-pamby. It's funny you when know. you say that because you almost have to throw numbers out the window when you're looking at Collingwood, which is why every week we say they, sh- they probably won't win, Sydney should win, Geelong should beat them, but they yeah. always... No, they no, always that, that, that is exactly how I feel about them. There's a momentum and a... And I think, in a way, the Bulldogs are a bit like that in 2016. I mean, they, they had good numbers and whatever, but I think they were only the 12th highest scoring side or whatever. Now, Collingwood in per terms of personnel and I'm sure there's various stats in which they don't measure up but there is to quote the castle a vibe happening you know and and, and it's really special and that's the interesting thing because if they do win the premiership you often see that teams will try to mirror the premiership trend or you know the standard if you're looking at Collingwood's signature they don't have a clear signature of game style you know they lose contested possessions by almost 20 a week so I can't see teams trying to recreate what Collingwood do because it's based on pressure and it's almost based mm. on what you said the, the vibe and just being in games and the, the belief and the hunger leading games because they don't have a style that you say well next year teams are going to be kicking shorter or handballing more or you know, playing more contests because that's what Collingwood did well Collingwood are, you know second best but pressure is it that brave is it that brave bold Game style, which which has them succeeding. It is. It's. It's. I, I look at. I look at. I think McRae's Craig McRae's triumph has been generating the confidence in his players and letting them have their heads. And I look at a guy like Ash Johnson. He to me seems to be representative. I mean, he's come from nowhere, mm. and he's really important to them. And he plays with his spirit. And there's a the Dacos brothers. You know the way that Nick sort of pushed Josh on, and there's a real spirit about them. And and that is as big a part, if not a bigger part of coaching now, I think, than the technical side of it. Because really, what is coaching? It's about eliciting the best possible performance out of your players. And this guy is just getting these guys playing to a level that I think most of the football world didn't think they were capable of reaching. Mm. And hold the thought. We've got a big preview coming. Um, We might look at how the Pies might cause that upset against the Swans. So buckle up, Jake. Flag Pies are coming. Rowan, something you noticed? (laughs) Um, oh, just to follow on from what we were saying there. So we haven't had finals in Melbourne for three years. And it's been mm. so good being there. You know, like, I mean, uh, we, we all, I think, watch a, a lot more footy on TV than we used to. I have this year. I, I really haven't been to as many games, but I have been at all the Melbourne finals. And the crowd noise has been unbelievable. I mean, you've had two 90,000-plus crowds, which is in itself pretty remarkable but I think people are, are really so hungry for that finals football that the crowd noise has been about the loudest I've ever heard I mean like when 
I'm trying to think of the one moment when Jordan Dugowie, uh kicked the first goal of the last quarter against Geelong a couple of weeks mm. back. That's as loud a roar as I've... Well, equal of the roar when Mark McCurry kicked that goal in the 1993 preliminary final, which I'm sure Essendon people will know what I'm talking about there. But You had to throw that in there. Well, I did, I did. That's all I've got to hang on there, to. There's something about a, a Collingwood cheer. It is, <clears throat> it's throaty. It's, yeah, it's the best <laughs> cheer in our game. Uh, a 90,000 plus, predominantly Collingwood supporters, tight game, MCG. Yeah, it's just... I love it, <laughs> and I'm a Carlton supporter, and I'm it's desperate good for Collingwood one of those, not to win this one. Of those sort of big three clubs, Richmond, Collingwood, Carlton, when one of them are up and about, it's always good to see that the G's always packed. But probably a contrast, the Melbourne fans. What was it, sixty odd thousand they got? Yeah, a bit Prism, disappointing. disappointing. Yeah, yeah, considering reigning premier, um, obviously a final, and um, yeah, you'd think they'd get a few more than that. Well, mm. the the one thing you did notice was how uh, I mean Brisbane seemed to have as much Support. crowd noise yeah. as Melbourne did and and that's uh, I think there'd be a lot of former Fitzroy people mm, who, yeah. who were on board and were part of that and I do notice that when Brisbane play here they're not short of support ditto with Sydney mm. with the old South Melbourne people which is great isn't it it's sort of retaining in fact the AFL will be really happy with that that you've got two expansion clubs from outside Victoria, but there are still important connections mm. to the old VFL. Not to get too into the weeds here, but how, how much do you sort of look at that and say, what's it what's that worth, the the fact that Melbourne don't have that Collingwood cheer and support in a final and you they're can, playing at home? You can only really ask the players what that worth oh, is. I think but... that's I think that's interesting. Now I'm not saying that's the reason that they lost or they, they should have gone all the way, but it's like, is there something in that where it's like we are we are Melbourne and then you look at Collingwood and you look at Richmond in previous years and the crowds that they've been able to, to generate. It was pretty poor and, and yeah, I don't know, just sort of you don't you don't have the crowd to inspire you after after a big mark or a, or a big goal to sort of pump you up and get you back into the game. It's an interesting thought and when you're a, an opposing team um, coming into that sort of cauldron, like the Dockers, I think, Justin Longmuir might have mentioned it. David Mundy after the game as well said some of the young players just may not have handled the occasion. No, and a, a lot bit. of free, you know, a lot of Fremantle players. Look at David Mundy; he's played three hundred and seventy-eight mm. games, and that was the second biggest crowd he's ever played in front of. So mm. you look, at, you look at the rest. And the four hundred and seventy-six thousand flight he's taken. Oh, it, it clearly. Got, I mean, I hate to. I feel like I'm shooting Bambi, but uh, Brandon Walker. You know, he clearly. I, he, he was he very, froze. very. Yeah. yeah, he did. Yeah. And and I think to a lesser extent, uh, Michael Frederick did yeah. as well. Oh, and they weren't they weren't alone. There was there was half a dozen of them. But I think we are getting into the weeds here. We are a bit, Christian. Up to you now, mate. Something you noticed? Yeah. So again, probably um, talking about Melbourne and across the year. I think a few people noticed how many leads they gave up across the year. So I sort of looked at how many times they were twenty points up um, across the game and lost. And there were six games this year, they were twenty points up and ended up getting done by the end of the game that's the equal most uh since 99 of any team so the only other team to sort of get beaten six times or being up by 20 points was north in 2013 who finished 10th on the ladder or something so missed the final so again we spoke about melbourne yeah they won 10 in a row and they were flying at the start of the year but the more you drill into their numbers and we'll Mm -hmm. go into a a bit more later on of you know what dropped away from this year compared to last year but yeah that was probably one of the things their inability to sort of run out games and get run over what is that why does that happen though Exactly. Is it, is it I mean, as simple as teams go, well, we oh now we need to change something. It's half time. We're down by five goals, whatever it is. 
Well, is it vain again, it, it just seemed like a, a long-term thing. So, again, going into Melbourne and their points differential by quarter. So, in the first quarter, they outscored teams by, I think, a total of 254 points across the year. That's number number one for uh, first quarter differential. Second quarter, they were second. Third quarter, they were fifth. Fourth quarter, they dropped to 15th uh, for points differential. So, it wasn't just a sort of a one-off and it wasn't just a third quarter or fourth quarter thing. They got beaten It, it feels like games. a fitness a fitness issue. And I, that's where I was going to come in. That's what makes them reviewing their season really interesting because if it was just the numbers we were looking at, you know, they could go, okay, our forward, you know, we're not converting enough entries, mm. da, da, da. But clearly, you, you have They're to... Doing the, the, right the number thing. one question has to be about that preparation as opposed to last year. Now you think about how, again, they're one of the best quarter, fourth quarter teams last year, but even just the final series, the way they put their foot down yeah. after halftime yeah. in all three of their finals. So you have that bigger contrast. That has to be almost the number one question mark over them. And then my point here is, how do you assess that? I mean, I know they have data about their fitness and whatever, but... At the end of the day, it's still really a judgment call, isn't it? Has the has this fitness um, regime buggered up basically, where the old one had them cherry ripe? You know, they gee, it's a tough. Call. Yeah, we always. I tell at, you what, I wouldn't like to be in their fitness. Yeah, and as outside right of here. looking in, we always look at injuries and soft tissue injuries to sort of rate a fitness staff. But again, this is another stat that sort of says, well, maybe there's another issue yep. there with Melbourne preparation. Just, just yeah, running out four quarters. Is it more of a mental? Thing? Do we buy into the whole they lose their hunger after winning one flag? No. Well, they, that might be the case if they just went and had an awful season. But we're saying if if we only played three quarters, they're probably the best team in the league. So it's it's there's a real issue after half time, but particularly that fourth quarter. And when we went when we were going into that fourth quarter against uh, Brisbane, and you you look at all those numbers and you say, yeah, Brisbane's going to win this. Mm. And Brisbane themselves have had troubles closing out games in the last you know, two months. So, yeah, I, I, there's some issues there with Melbourne. I wonder if, uh, and I did think this at the time, actually. They, so they were 28 points up, weren't they? And Callum Archie kicked that goal literally on the half-time mm. side. Yeah, they were, about, they were 28 points up for about a minute before, yeah, Brisbane kicked one to get them back. Yeah, the well, I just, I wonder if 28 would have been enough and, yeah, just psychologically. Mm. Again, well, there was, a, there was a moment in that, going back to the first week of finals, I remember, I can't remember who had the ball, but... The dogs were when they were smashing them. They had a chance to kick another one, free a rebound, and then that kind of started them. And you think, is one more the yeah. goal that kills them, and yeah. the game's over? Yeah. Mm. Is this the most? So it's it's a ten game winning streak to bring in the season out of the gates. Well, it's, when, se- it's I keep saying it, but it's seventeen games when you include the late season streak of last year through the final series and the later rounds. It's seventeen games, mm. and then the next fourteen were six and eight, mm. which includes the late rounds this season and their two finals this year. I mean, that's not unprecedented. Just those numbers make me think of um, like, or two examples, actually. I think Carlton in 96, actually, they're probably pretty relevant because Carlton won in 90, the flag in 95, absolutely dominant, only yep. lost two games. Only one in my lifetime. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> we're going way back, aren't we? I, I, was, I was just turning 30. That's how long ago. But the following year in 96, I think they won... I think it might have been about 10 of their first 12 or 8 of their first 10 yep. and looked just as good. And then they had a appalling drop-off and ended up getting um, smashed up in Brisbane and ending up sixth. And, you know, they fell right away. The other one, Essendon in um, 2012 were, oh, you know, 9-1 and one or something. And then, you know, it, it, it can happen and you seem to get to that midpoint. But... 
Um, I don't even know what the point I'm making here is. I'm just bringing up historical precedents. You're so, just needling me about Carlton. <laughs> uh, well, anything will do. But, you know, it's 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 not unprecedented. It's not... And I still think... I mean, Christian, you, you do the numbers and stuff. But I, I look at their list and I think it doesn't want for a lot. To me, the, the you know, w- without having had the benefit of looking at the numbers, to me, the most obvious drop-off between last year and this year was the forward structure because even last year when they were you know before they really cranked up in the last seven games the thing that made the difference was their forward line really started functioning well and Ben Brown specifically was playing well and you had Tom McDonald Mm. and this year you know Brown didn't fire a shot Wiedemann didn't fire a shot and McDonald was injured I think that's the thing they've got to fix up isn't it well A little bit, yes, because, I mean, even last year, they were finished across the season when they won the premiership. They were ninth best team for scoring once inside 50, so not even in the mm. top eight teams. So that was always sort of their weakness almost. It was and like... Sorry, isn't it now? I, sorry, I'm just showing off a bit here, but I'm sure I looked this up yesterday and it was... I think they were second on the inside 50 differentials and 11th for goals from... Yeah. In, yeah. Is yeah. that right? Uh, yeah, 11th for scores per inside 50, yeah. 13th for that's, goals that's, per inside 50. That's far 50. too big a So exactly, still dominated it? the territory, but the potency of the forward line, which, again, last year, it wasn't super strong either, but it was 2 or 3% better than this year. They had a slightly more inside 50 domination than defence was just so good, so they were outscoring teams. This year, it, it is. It's all... 3 4%, 5% drop-offs, but it's a 3% drop-off in defence, so they, they became 3 or 4% yeah. easier to score against, plus down at their end, they were 2 two or 3% less likely to score themselves, and that was enough to sort of bridge the gap, those you know, 14, 15 mm. points to bring them back to the pack. So for two years now, it is, it's been about their forward line that it hasn't been as potent as the good teams. They've relied on contested possessions and defence, but you're right, in... In the finals last year, Paley Fritch kicks six and mm-hmm. um, and they score, you know, against Geelong in the prelim, they score 100 points from clearances, which is just, you know, unstoppable. But this year, yeah, it was always, their forward line was always not as good as the best teams, but their defence was keeping them, you know, um, a, a, you know, a step ahead of the rest of the competition. But as their defence sort of just lost one or 2% worse, mm-hmm. um, their forward line went backwards either and it brought them back. To it's the and, that, and that's all it takes, isn't it? I can say yeah. categorically what it isn't, and it's not the fight at the restaurant between Stephen May and Jake Milksham, which I'm sure some of the more hysterical members of the football media will be trying to link it all to. It may or may not be that the flaws of the forward line that you touched on, Christian, they kept trying Weedman. He just never really He's just took no a good. game. Yeah, like well, we can call a spade a spade. He's not up to playing AFL standard they've football got for a Jacob, top side. Jacob Van Ruin in the VFL has kicked 36 goals. You just wonder if they needed to give a young kid a go ahead of Weedman. Um, instead of persisting with this 24-year-old, I think he is. Who well, they've just... got six months to work out what they're going to do. The, you know, the other uh, just on McDonald, I, I was convinced they'd, they'd roll the dice on McDonald. I wonder mm. in, in the end if they weren't prepared to because they were worried about Petrarca. And I was going to say, they already they had Petrarca wanna... on one leg. And... Yeah, and I think that might have been a, the decisive factor. So Yep. Brisbane had to win that game, though, and they did really well to do so. So I think Berry had four well, I had touches. to win that game, otherwise it would have been out. <laughs> I think you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I Don't think I know what you're saying. Four yep. touches to bury at, at halftime, 20 in the second half when he was moved on a bit of a cooling roll on uh, Clayton Oliver. You had Charlie Cameron, who had one of the most effective five-touch games I've ever seen, three three goals from those five kicks. Hipwood lifted in, in Danaher's absence. What do we make of the Lions, Christian? Uh, yeah, again, the, the Charlie Cameron one was interesting. So, um, 
I have to give a shout out. So my son, he's five, and he tipped the Lions to win. He, he wanted me to say it on my radio cast, as he calls it. So well done, Riley. You tipped the winner. But he asked well me. Well done, when, Riley. When they were inter- interviewing Charlie Cameron after the game, he saw that interview. He said, oh, did he win? And I said, no, he didn't win. He played in the winning team. He said, oh, was he the best player? And I said, well, he's only touched the ball five times. So, But he's kicked three goals. So even I don't know how to, how do you rate a game like Charlie Cameron. If, mm. if they don't win, isn't he the whipping boy? He only got it five times in a final, a big final. He went missing. But... Exactly that. He nailed his chances, three goals, and that's that was almost you know one of the part of the stories of the night is Brisbane nailed their chances for once, um, and Melbourne didn't. So the expected scores I think had Melbourne winning by about only by about a goal or so. So it was pretty close in the expected scores, but for once Brisbane got, yeah, and we, got the benefit of it. And we spoke about last three or four years how unlucky they have been. With exactly. Accuracy. Yeah. I, early in the game, Melbourne, when Melbourne were peppering, and it looked like gee, this could be this could be sixty, seventy points. Mm. And there was a point where, where where Melbourne missed two kind of easyish chances in a row, and the com- the commentator said something along the lines of, um, "I wonder if this will come back to haunt them." And I was like, "You know, obviously you want to try and keep it exciting, keep it close, make make out anyone can win." I thought there's just no way. And I and this is coming from me. Sorry, Riley, but I also tipped uh, tipped <laughs> the Lions, but I wasn't even convinced that after the start. I thought, "Yeah, they're not they're not winning this game." And then, sure enough, they did come back to bite them, mm. and and the accuracy it finally does go the other way. But to your point, Jared, about they had to win it, and sorry, I know exactly <laughs> what you were getting at, but um, we talked before about Collingwood and belief and whatever, and I think you saw the value of their comeback against Richmond. Mm. Now I'm going to do what you did and say, if they hadn't done that against Richmond, they wouldn't have been able to do that against Melbourne. Well, no, they wouldn't because they would have been out. But you know what I mean. They're, mm. they're getting the, that come, the, Winning that Richmond final gave them the requisite confidence and self-belief to be able to haul themselves back from that 28-point deficit. Yeah. It, it was yeah. like a different side. And now, you think back now to that side that pulled back a five-goal deficit against Melbourne in a final and contrast it to the side that choked on a seven-goal lead against Richmond only, what, six weeks ago mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. They're like two... The belief levels of those two yeah. sides are poles apart. So... The Brisbane we're talking about now is a very different Brisbane to the one we were talking about before the elimination final against Richmond, don't you think? A Lions team that had lost 11 straight at the MCG and yeah. now snapped that hoodoo. Now they're going to be chock full of confidence yep. tackling the Cats at the same ground this weekend. So they conquered a Victorian final. The Dockers couldn't though, Christian. What happened to them on the weekend? Yeah, it was, again, go back to last week's podcast and I was I was irrelevant last week because I said Brisbane had no chance and Collingwood Frio was going to be the tight one. And it was all about, it just started early and it's been, it was a problem for Frio towards the end of the season. So you look at their last three first quarters going back, they lost the uh, first quarter by 13 points in the final round of the season, lost it by 34 points against the Bulldogs and lost it by 23 points against Collingwood. So Collingwood got them straight out of the blocks. Um mm-hmm. And it was Frio's ball moving in that first half. They just did not take the game on. A lot of backwards kicks, a lot of sideways stuff. Collingwood's pressure was... I think their, their pressure in their first half was one of their lowest, probably their third or fourth lowest first half pressure. So they didn't even need to... What we talk about Collingwood's one wood, what I just said earlier, it's all about pressure and sort of hanging in there. They didn't even need to do that. It was so it was, it was was so unusual how Collingwood got out of the blocks in the first quarter. They dominated possession, which they're probably not used to. And the game was just done by a quarter time. But as I said, looking into it, it was the a problem with Frio. I think they won two of their last seven final quarters of the season. But yeah, the, those last mm. three, losing all of them by double digits. Gee, it was a, a flattering margin, wasn't it? That oh, was a, it should, well, that uh, was yeah. that could easily have been another 10-goal uh, yeah. win for the Pies. I, I was, I've got to say, I was pretty confident 
it was going to play out as it played out. I, I just there's something about Fremantle. And don't get me wrong, I, I've been really impressed with them over the course of the year. But in terms of reliability, I just think I sort of felt like the comeback win against the Bulldogs. There's your grand final. Yeah, this just, is going to be a bridge. But too I also far. looked at both teams. Neither of the teams that were the type of teams to put their foot down on the opposition. So I didn't see either like. Collingwood getting out to a 23-point lead. I yeah. would have said last week that neither team would get more than 15, 20 points in front because I yeah. felt like they were just they both played close and tight. But I was the same. Once it got to 23 points a quarter time and the way Frio were playing, you're like, yeah. well, Frio don't have the ability to kick five goals fast. They never have. They, it's going to yeah. be a slow grind if they get back. I know they did it last week against Bulldogs, but that, again, they just did not take the game on. You could see it earlier that they weren't going to get and, it back because they that, just weren't taking it on. That was a funny part in the last quarter when the Pies were 38 points up or whatever because, you know, virtually every game they play in is a nail-biter and you're sort of saying, oh, geez, what do we do now, you know? <laughs> the, the issue I had with Freo all year and at various points they looked like they could be a, a top four chance and even a premiership chance at, at certain stages of the season and I know the numbers suggested that they were one of the flag fancies, particularly in the first half of the season. But, but my eyes just told me they don't have enough A-grade players playing, especially in the midfield and forward half. Like, they've got a really solid defence. No one's denying that. But how often is how often do individual defenders win your games? They had no one to turn to. And I love Andy Brayshaw, and he's going to poll really well in the brown low, and he's only going to get better. Potential future captain of the club. But with no Nat Fife there, David Mundy, obviously, last game, who, who do they turn to? In a, in a game like that where they've had back-to-back horror first quarters, who's the player that is going to turn turn this for them? Because we've seen in finals, we've seen lo- what Lockie Neal can do and he can drag his club over the line and get his club back into a game. It becomes about star players. Yeah. Um, Jordan Dugowie, a great example for Collingwood, hasn't had a great couple of years, but all of a sudden gets to finals and he's playing his best footy again. Well, their star's and, sitting in the grandstand injured, isn't he? Well, he is. Jill yeah. Brownlow medals. Yeah, so he I, hasn't I, played. I think you're 100% right. That's exactly how I feel about him. I mean, in, you know, in another year or two... It those, might be Brayshaw and Sarong. It might be Brayshaw. It will be Brayshaw yeah. and Sarong, but it's not yet. No, I think you're spot on. Yeah, and I, and I just think someone... We spoke about a couple of players. Um, you, you spoke about a couple of players at the start. I thought Will Brody was someone that everyone was really high on throughout the year and, and deserves credit for what he's been able to do this year. But he was he was a non-factor for the first three quarters of the game. And so you're, you're putting so much pressure on Brayshaw and Sarong, who are two young players that are going to be A-graders. There's no doubt about it. But yeah, I just felt like they lacked... They lacked a player in the midfield or the forward line that could really spark them. Mm. Um, and that was probably their downfall in the end. The yeah, pressure that, forwards were, were quite good, though. Lockie Schultz throughout the year, Sam Sulkowski, when he wasn't hampered by a back injury, they were really strong they're pressure forwards. They're good players, but, and, and Schultz gave them a spark for half a quarter, mm. but Kicked their first they're, not, they're not match winners. And yeah. that's no disrespect to and them, they because there's only a impact. dozen of those players in the league, and they don't seem to have one at the moment. Yeah, and they don't have huge impact on the scoreboard. So exactly what you said, it was all built around defence, but then when you just take a snapshot of their offensive profile for the year, it doesn't read like a top four or a finalist team. I mean, they were 10th for inside 50 differential, so negative, so the ball lived at the other end of the field. 14th for points, four, 15th for scoring once inside 50, and 16th for taking a mark inside 50. So if you look at just those numbers in isolation without a, a team attached to it, you'd say, well, that's a team from the bottom 10, yeah. clearly. But well, yeah, they were able to get through to top four with well, those A couple of things from that. You can see why teams put so much emphasis on defence, because if you get your defence right, you can sort of get away with a less than stellar forward setup. But it also says to me that the, the 
point of difference between sides ultimately is about their capacity to attack and score. And that's why, getting ahead of myself a little bit here, that's why I'm, I'm now re- supremely confident Geelong is going to win this premiership because they've got the best attack, I reckon. You wonder how important Matt Tabiner could have been if they rolled the dice on him. Just another option down forward, a, a get-out kick to the goal. Well, he, when he plays, he's bloody good but mm. he, he just he's, he's had this durability issue well he is he's, he's the most subbed out player in the league of the last five years isn't he it's insane how, uh, how it's going to be a big off season for the Dockers so Luke yeah, Jackson but, but, potentially coming in Rory Lobb potentially out the door Griffin Logue likely yeah I know so. we're really down on the Dockers today and, and fair enough everybody is it, it was a disappointing end to the season but it is a big tick this year for the for oh, Freo where, what yeah. they've been able to do and and I think Craig McRae, it's quite clear he's been the coach of the year, but we shouldn't take anything away from what Justin Longmuir has been able to do um, as well with this side. And we said before, Brayshaw, Sarong, two future leaders of the club, they've got some young players that are getting better as well. Yeah, they probably do They probably do lack that, that star player. But as you said, he's been sitting on... He's, been, he's barely played all year in that five, and he's still one of the best players in the competition. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see whether he comes back next year and plays more as a permanent forward or if he is back in the midfield. Because yep. I think I think he should still be playing time in the midfield. I, I tend to go the other way. I, I, I think that they could make him a specialist forward and he could be really damaging. But... But then, he, but then you, you you look at his kicking for goal, and you think, yeah, do you want mm. if he's if he's yes, it's all well and good. He's mm. he's all, he's always been one of the best, if not the best, contested mark for a midfielder. Yeah. his whole career. Yeah, you can. That's work all on, well and good. You can work on the kicking though. Like, well, can you? Well, can you well, tell that to the oh, seven hundred players currently playing? Oh, I always fancied myself as a kick for goal. Give him a few <laughs> tips. The one thing I was going to say about Freo is. For me, the biggest difference now in terms of credibility is the resilience. Mm, yeah. Do you think of some of the positions they won from this year, even against the Bulldogs? You know, well, the Demons. That, yeah, that, yeah, that, that one at the MCG. Yeah. yeah, previous years, all those games, they just would have waved the white flag and got smashed. You know, so that is a major step forward for them. Mm. They have taken a step forward. Hey, a new segment for this final series is our go-to player of the week, brought to you by Dan Murphy's your go-to destination for unbeatable prices on all your favourite footy drinks. So we're going to look at the player who had the most inside 50 targets on the weekend. Mm. Who was that go-to player of the week, Christian? Yeah, well, lucky. I think there was about six guys on equal second on six, but uh, we had a clear leader with Ash Johnson at Collingwood targeted seven times inside 50 on Saturday night. Gee, I, I my eyes probably wouldn't have picked that. Um... There were a few times you, Collingwood played with a really open forward line. At least in that first half, there were probably a couple of times, at least two or three, maybe in the first quarter alone, where he was sort of streaming inside 50 and players were putting long balls over the top to him. But he squandered a few opportunities. Yeah, well, we finished exactly, finished the game with 0 3. Um, as I said, targeted seven times inside 50, but failed to take a mark in there. But again, sort of talking about Charlie Cameron earlier and five touches, three goals, uh, had eight disposals, but six score involvement. So obviously he's three behinds plus another three scores. So he. he when he gets the ball, it usually impacts mm. on the scoreboard for Collingwood. But yeah, just had an, probably an, an almost night, if you want to the call it The goal-kicking yips sort of played the whole team. Though. I think that was six straight, and then they went to six, nine or six, ten. So nine or ten consecutive behinds, and, and he was part of that. That was the first game, I'm pretty certain, if... Oh, correct me if I'm wrong, that's the first game since his debut eight games ago Has that he hasn't kicked a goal. So yeah. he's 15-9 in... And he's kicked some bloody matches. good goals oh, I was well. going to say, he almost leads to the boundary because he's so confident from kicking it from... Oh. 
a drop punt from outside the boundary. I, can I feel, I feel like he's almost a barometer for them. You know, like it's, he's, bit of re- re- for a team that has about. struggled for key forward, <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> key forward and aerial plays in, in the front half, he's been a real revelation he's for really, them. He's really part exciting. Of yeah, mm. I don't know why. I can't, I, I'm not saying they're necessarily similar players, but. I see him. I keep thinking of a young Chris Tarrant. Yeah, well, even if I look at Collingwood, and it's, I don't know how long Derek Hines been there, and whether you know, like the new uh, regime recruiting. But looked at their forward line, just where they got their players. So Mason Cox, obviously the American, Brody Meyer, out of the VFL. Jamie Elliott came through the draft. Bo McCreary was sort of a, I think he was sort of playing sample seniors, sort of a year or two uh, removed from his draft year. Uh, Ash Johnson, obviously a, a mid-season pick. So yeah, they've sort of got this this forward line. I know mm. Will Hoskin Elliott's another one that's probably a lower draft pick. But again, looking at how they've built their forward line, they don't have an out-and-out star, but they've just got guys that like talk about Myacek and Ash Johnson that have grabbed their opportunities. Yeah. They got them late and just taken them with you, both hands. You throw, uh, I think you throw uh, Ginnivan in there as well, and it's just about one of the most exciting. Our forward lines in the league, and uh, in terms of pressure and what they can do, and, and I think Matt might have made this point a couple of weeks ago. They are um, outside of this week for for Ash Johnson, but they are usually a pretty accurate team. You know, Jamie Elliott, Mason Cox, Ginnivan doesn't miss, um, and even my check as well. So look, they are they. Oh, we keep going back to it, but I am getting nervous about the pie. I really am. They 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 can they can do it. I I will certainly admit that now. Do you know, if if it was any other year, I'd I'd be in, in fact two thousand and ten. I got right on their bandwagon. I was really happy when they won it. But now they're on 15, and I'm an Essendon supporter. You guys are yeah. cancer, but we don't want them no, to get we don't. 16. Level. <laughs> so they can't be allowed to win. But in all seriousness, it would be one of the, if they won it, you know, like I said, 17th to first. But, but the way they've won it, the sorts of players in the team, they're really. They're just really interesting, and they're great to watch. There's a real excitement and about Ash them. Johnson is a real part of that. They do tend to look to the South Australian. Uh, State League, Collingwood, so Ash Johnson, Josh Carmichael this year, John Noble, and Bo McCreary, as you said, all, all from the Sandful. So I do like the Sandful of the Pies. Anyway, that was the Dan Murphy's go to player of the week. Please remember to drink wise. Kick off the footy finals and score a great deal at Dan Murphy's. Shop unbeatable prices in store or online at danmurphys.com.au. Conditions apply. Choose to drink wise. Dan Murphy's. Now looking ahead to the prelim finals this week. As I said at the start, there's only three matches left, which is crazy when you think about it. So there's only three prelims. No, there's two prelims. Yeah, two. You know how it works. (laughs) Uh, Christian, the first one we'll look at is Geelong and Brisbane. We're going to say Geelong should win this game. They've been the best team all year. But you look at what the the Lions, sorry, did to the D's last week, and you think, geez, if if they get things right few things go wrong for the Cats. Is an upset brewing? Can it happen? Uh, again, I'm probably... I'm leaning... I give Brisbane more of a chance this week than I did last week, and obviously way off the mark last week anyway. So, But again, this is more about... It's really about offence, and Rowan was right in terms of Geelong being one of the best scoring teams, but Brisbane are probably up there with them as well in terms of their ability to score. So, um, yeah, looking at sort of points differential from turnovers, Geelong a first, Brisbane a fourth. From clearances, Brisbane a fourth and Geelong a fifth. So, again, they're both very good at outscoring their opposition from the two main scoring sources. Um, you know, first and fourth for scoring per inside 50, um, Geelong first and Brisbane fourth. The big difference is, though, Geelong second for time in forward half, tenth for Brisbane. 
So Geelong like to have the ball live in their forward half and still sort of score well, whereas Brisbane sort of get you more from the back half and sort of we saw the way Hipwood and Cameron sort of like to get their goals with with real quick ball movement and open forward line. So that could be one to watch in terms of Brisbane won't need to dominate territory, but again, you'll be able to tell early if they're nailing their chances, even if even if Geelong are 10, 15 inside 50s in front, along, as long as Brisbane are nailing their chances when they go end to end, um, they're a chance. But again, I, I see this... <clears throat> This final, again, it always goes the opposite way to what you expect it to do, but I mm. think this could be a bit of a shootout in the final in terms of both these teams want to score heavily. Well, the last time well. they played, it was 10 points to Geelong, 80 to 70 at GMHBA Stadium. Uh, Hawkins booted five uh, that day. McStay kicked three, Danaher kicked three. I just wonder, with Danaher coming back, there was no Hipwood then because he was still recovering from his knee injury, so... Hipwood, McStay and Danaher in the same team this week. Can that cause any tr- troubles for Geelong's defence who might be without Jake Collajasny? Yeah, well, they will. Again, it's one of those ones on, and I spoke about it last week in terms of how Brisbane was going to beat Melbourne. It was going to be contested possession. And we hadn't seen any evidence of Brisbane being able to do that to Melbourne. Again, we haven't really seen McStay, Hipwood and Danaher all fire in the same game. So mm. it's one of those big what-ifs. If they do fire, obviously they're mm. going to get any opposition. But I, I don't think they all need to. If they can have two of those three, that's what I was con- going to say. I th- contribute in a meaningful way. If they can get, if they can get, if if you, if I tell you right now that those three will kick six between them, do, do you say Brisbane can win the game? Is six enough between those three? If, if you, no. Again, Charlie Cameron has got a Charlie Cameron will, might three. have to kick two or three. Yeah. So you get you need. What are we saying? You need ten between those four players. Yeah. Well, what are you going to get from Hawkins and Cameron at the other end? Yeah, well, that's the uh, Hawkins five in that yeah. win earlier this year is pretty significant. I'm, I can't remember who played on him. But well, Harris Andrews, I'm a massive fan of Harris Andrews. Harris oh, Andrews it. has had a few games where he's been beaten well by Tom Hawkins. Yeah. So. Do you play Harris Andrews on Cameron, or is Cameron moved pushing too far up the ground for your liking? He's, yeah. So who takes the other on one? It's Gardner. It's Gardner and. Andrews versus Hawkins and Cameron. Yeah, and they might have had Marcus Adams spend some time on Hawkins as well, who's he's, and not he's in the team. Not so they got equation. Jack Payne. So yeah, it'll be a little bit of changing. But it again, yeah, I don't, I can't see Andrews playing on Cameron because of how far mm. Cameron ventures away from the goals. I just mm. think this is, you know, sometimes you look at past. In fact, I asked Chris Fagan this after the game on Friday night. I asked him about that earlier game against Geelong, and he said, you know, it's so long ago. I think it was what round three. Round four. Um, yep. Round four and, and at Geelong. But I reckon Brisbane would take enormous confidence in the last the body of work from the last three games. You know, they they fixed them up at the Gabba. They lost by ten points earlier this year and then they lost the one by one point. Which they should have won with Zach that Bailey Blitzer wasn't paid the free the kick. And and when they do knock off Geelong they can say that's for Zach Bailey down at Geelong. But <laughs> now they got yeah. that the following week, didn't they? <laughs> didn't he kick one that's after right, the That's right, against Collingwood. Yeah. Yeah. Um but you know what I mean? Like there's three really good performances against Geelong in a row. So Geelong hold fewer fears for Brisbane than just about anyone. Well, that's exactly mm. it. They, they, it's it's a complete contrast, really, to to how they fared against Melbourne going into that game. No one gave them a chance, and they'd been smashed the last three or four times they'd played. Yeah. And as you said, they should take confidence going into this game. Yes, it's at the MCG, but they've just shown they can win there seven days ago. Yeah. So, I was I gave them a chance to win against uh, Melbourne. Are you prepared I, to tip them two weeks in a row? I don't know if I can tip them two weeks in a row because I do think Geelong is the team to beat. I think that's I don't think that's a crazy take. I think that's everyone kind of feels that way. But I think they're 
I think both games are closer to 50-50 than what probably the bookies would suggest. Mm. And I can certainly see them riding that confidence from the semi-final um, and causing the Cats a bit of trouble. But I just... I think I, I just feel they're probably lacking a bit of punch in the midfield at the moment. It, it just still feels like a bit of a Lockie Neal one-man show, especially with uh, if Jared Berry's not going to be playing. And, and we are recording this before... Uh, Tuesday night's hearing, so we, we don't know as yet as to what's going to happen. But if he isn't to play, given how well he played on Clayton Oliver in the second half, um, and you'd expect he would probably get a similar sort of role again this weekend if he was to play, without him, they just feel a little thin in the midfield. Mm. I know this is getting one step way ahead, but again, if Brisbane win this week, do you give them much chance in the grand final, though, being that it will be their third week travelling to Melbourne in a row. I just have that fear of... What a story well, that would four, be. Eight years without a win at the G and then you have to win three in a three row. Three in a row, but I just feel like, uh, yeah, again, totally be wrong. I can be... see him, you know, getting an exciting win over Geelong, but then just failing to show up in the grand final just because it becomes yeah, too much. Depends no on the team, no depends team's on ever the done that. You know what's, interesting, three times in what's interesting about that? Because I just had this flashback to, oh, yeah, Geelong-Brisbane have played in an MCG preliminary final before in 04. And remember, it was a big thing about Brisbane having to play that preliminary there because it should have been at the Gabba and travel. Lee Matthews always said, you know, the travel thing was a factor in them Mm. losing that grand final. Um, Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, I don't want to be the party pooper here, but I reckon the Cats are going to win the preliminary well and the grand final well. Heard it here first. Yeah, and pack it up now, boys. <laughs> from from cat versus cat yeah. to bird versus bird, we got Collingwood and Sydney <laughs> this weekend. Christian, what are we looking at with that game? Can can the Pies do it? I know we spoke about it a bit earlier, but they were smashed by Sydney only four weeks ago in round twenty two, I believe it was at the SCG. Um, can the Pies turn that result it was, around? It was probably Collingwood's again. You're a Collingwood supporter. So you tell me if I'm lying here. That's probably their most disappointing performance of the year. Well, in terms of yeah, they, they just weren't really, never really in that game. They lost to, they, to West Coast. They did lost on. to West Coast, but I think they were in that game against Sydney. I think they were sort of out of the game by about yeah. three. There were two losses the mid-year quarter. against Richmond and the Bulldogs back to back about rounds eight and nine where they lost. C- certainly since the buys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But again, it's pressure. So one and two pressure teams this year. Sydney's first, Collingwood second at applying pressure. Um, and Collingwood's defence is obviously going to is what they're going to hang their hat on because Sydney are much better at scoring than Collingwood. So if you look at scores per inside fifty, so Sydney's the second best team at scoring once they get it inside fifty. Collingwood are thirteenth, but are the best at defending opposition entries. So, and just looking at Collingwood, I mean their last few games against Sydney, they've, they've had a few wins. But if you look at their scores going back from twenty twenty two, working our way back, they've scored fifty points against them, forty two fifty. 80, 71, 80, 53, and 76. So they don't mm. score heavily against Sydney. They've been um, close, though, haven't they? Haven't as I said, there's three, been about four single-digit... Yeah, three margins. wins, and four of those were single... I think a single-digit loss and three single-digit wins in that yeah. time. But again, in terms of what I just said about the first... The Friday night final could be all about scoring. This one, again, Collingwood... I could only see Collingwood winning this in a low-scoring final, but Collingwood mm. have, had, have excelled at keeping games to be low-scoring this don't, year. Don't mm. you think... I, I have this impression... I don't, I don't think the SCG suits Sydney as much as it used to, but I think it probably suits Collingwood even less. Collingwood need a bigger ground, don't they, to be, to function effectively? Yeah, a little bit probably for... Yeah, again, talking about their open forward line and the way they sort of want to keep that forward line open. But you can't in terms of the way Chris they want to bring the pressure... The yeah, but they want to bring the pressure. They sort of want to keep the game in tight. So that, that will help them. It won't... You know, Sydney won't be able to... 
again, you know, talk about Sydney won't be able to use the space, so they won't be able to get Collingwood out, and Collingwood know how to defend. Well, interestingly, the last time they played, it was a clear directive. When you watch that game back, the Swans were just chipping it around, That's holding right. possession, yeah. which probably eliminated any chance Collingwood had to actually apply that pressure that they liked. They liked the ball. Can we the move the game? It'd be a much more attractive <laughs> game on the on the G or somewhere, wouldn't it? Let's yeah, just play every game there. Sydney, move it to the MCG. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, so the Swans were plus 29 contested possessions that day, plus 57 uncontested possessions, plus 27 marks. Yeah, as I said, controlled the footy, but only had three more inside 50s and, yeah, just demolished the pies in the midfield. There was no Taylor Adams that day. I think there was no Dugowie that day as well. Mm. Um, and he'll make a pretty big difference. I want to ask you, Jake and Rowan, whoever wants to jump in, do you think Ryan Clark should tag Nick Dacos as he did the last time they played? Yeah, I think so. Um Nick Dacos probably got a little bit of freedom uh, against the Dockers, and this isn't a Nick, a knock Nick Dacos segment because Nick, I think he's a great player Nick and knock. he's he's going to get even better. But I don't understand that we see some teams that give him an enormous amount of space and he carves them up, and other teams put attention into him and obviously he struggles to get his hands on the ball, which is the nature of it, and it's, that happens to the best players in the league. So I I agree. I think they should. And and just going back to uh, to the first prelim or the second prelim. They always have it like, is the second one the first one? That yeah. always confuses it, it's me. The, the first one is <laughs> it's the, the teams that were on the outside. Which so is the second four. one in, by you, time. Uh, the Saturday one. Uh, what's the Friday one again? Geelong? No. Oh, like 1v4 will be yeah, first. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's the, the Friday night is the first. Yeah. but It was um, last week. That sounded a lot more confusing yeah. than it needs to be. We can crop that Just, out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but Lockie Neal, you know, we said, we we asked that question last week. Who's gonna? It, should they be putting attention to Lockie Neal? And they did with um, Angus Brayshaw. Is he the best tiger in the league, Ryan Clark? Is that too outlandish? He might to be say? the only tiger. Well, that, well, exactly. There's really not many the many players that are doing it. But, but you know, you know what? I reckon if Sydney end up winning it, I bet he plays a, a significant role. The yeah. first thing that came to mind when you mentioned him was I don't know why this grand final it was but, Dylan Clark. Um, no, no, but he was a good run with five. But uh, 2018, um, uh, I've just forgotten his name, Mark Hutchings' job on Steel Sidebottom. That was pivotal yeah. to West Coast mm. winning that game. Yeah, and, and it is, I, I'm a firm believer that you need to almost have a player in your team that is a specialist run with player. Mm. That it's, it's that important. If you, can, if you can drop the output of the opposition's best player by 25%, mm. That's game changing, uh, especially someone like Lockie Neal or Clayton Oliver, which uh, Barry was able to do. But back to this game, to your point, yeah, I I think they should um, absolutely. Um, then you look in the midfield and you think, does someone need to sort of keep an eye on Dugowie because Dugowie and and Dacos seem to be the two players that have sparked a lot of these attacks. Dacos from the back half and Dugowie in the center. I think he had half of their center clearances. Um, in in the semi-finals, so. I almost tag Jack Crisp ahead of Jordan Dugowie because he's almost untaggable. He can go to full forward and still have a really big impact, whereas Jack Crisp might not be able to do that. Yeah, quite possibly, but you got to have someone that can go with him because he's bloody quick, Jack Crisp. Yeah. Um, so yeah, look, I I think to your point, yeah, they probably should be putting attention into him. Um, and then on the flip side, Collingwood would want to be looking at a couple of Sydney players and 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 sort of and wanting to sort of slow them down a bit, a little bit, so to speak. I, yeah. I think, um, yeah, what he said in terms of the tag <laughs> and whatever. I, I think a, a really interesting thing for Sydney, probably more. I'm probably thinking more about the grand final 
will be the performance of the young guns. Yeah, I love their young players. I, I feel like I'm sponsoring them. I love them so much. Chad, the Chad and and McInerney, Errol um, Golden. Yeah, Errol. Uh, you know they're terrific. But you just think in the back of your mind, you know, two biggest games of the year. You know, do they do a Frio and seize mm. up a bit? You don't know. I mean, but I, the, I but really the, hope they the, don't. The, the the difference is, yes, I love David Mundy, and yes, he's experienced. But they've got experience around them on all the lines, yeah. and not just finals experience, but grand final experience as well. Yeah. And they have that throughout their whole team. Um, yeah. And I think that's that might be the difference. And no, they're probably it, it's just they've got such a great balance of that experience and the talented youth. They we have. sometimes see experience with the youth that's the talent's not quite there. Very reminiscent, Jake of Essendon in nineteen ninety three. Well, there you go. See, I was one year old. I didn't watch too much Bombers 1993. Um, um, but yeah, look, I think they're both going to be tighter games than than what we think. Um, he, he, I'll, I'll tip this. One of the underdogs will win this week. One of them will win. Brisbane or Collingwood. That one often of, happens. One so, of them will win. A quite common scenario. I meant to look it up and I forgot. Is you, you get one blowout and one thriller. And generally the blowout winner wins the grand final. Because the team that has that really close game, a little bit more banged up, takes yeah. takes I could, a toll. I, I feel, I really feel. I think you might have predicted this last week, but I feel like Sydney Collingwood is, has extra time written all over. Oh, really? It. Oh, geez. Oh, so, yeah, that's what I said about Freo Collingwood. Save the I just couldn't see either. either well, one we'll of just those keep picking it. It's bound to happen eventually. Well, <laughs> Collingwood's already won a, an extra time final. Don't forget, yes, it's West Coast. Yeah, they did. Could be Buddy's last game at the SCG as well. Who knows? Mm. So another storyline to watch there guys time for justified hype or hyperbole uh, this is the segment where I'll say a statement and you guys will tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole Christian first one for you mate Jared Berry's one game ban should stand I hate talking about tribunal stuff for starters but I <laughs> think luck. it should um, again just yeah reading into it and looking at what they're lo- looking to argue, I, I would feel like you'd need a new piece of evidence, wouldn't you? you need a new video evidence. We're all looking at the same footage, so all, on, Brisbane, all Brisbane can do is talk their way out of it. Do you, though, based on the hearings that we've had this year, do you need new that's, evidence? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like That's why I sort of find it really, really hard that we have the MRO and they have their tick boxes and they tick it, and then clubs can talk their way out of it. So, again, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always leaning towards, I like the first penalty sort of being yeah. handed down and sort of, you know, Yep. getting it right so I would have thought the AFL had got it right giving him a week but again it's just how well how well the law but is we, are we looking, looking at that, looking you at you that incident in isolation forget history and everything we we as football fans and people that watch the game shouldn't want to see this in the sport and we should be we should be advocating for at least a one week suspension if he's to get off this and he's able to play, I think that's such a bad look and a bad precedent to be set by the AFL. No, I agree. That's what, in, in our round table this week, you, you mentioned that, and that's what I think. It, it comes down to the thing about intent versus consequences, right? And if they put the amount of emphasis I think they should on intent, that would always be a suspension because you've just got no business having your hands anywhere near a guy's face. I agree. Eye gouging has no room in the AFL, or in any sport, really. It's a disgusting look, but... The intent part does matter. I don't think he's intended. Or how how are you supposed to know that say, he guarantees? But why has he got his eye, his hands so, his finger so close to his eye? Well, this yeah. is what I'm saying that the Lions have a case because he has an elbow in his head 
you can't guarantee that he can see where he's reaching for. He's reaching, he does the scraping motion, and then he goes back and gets the jumper. So there's clearly a case there to say, well, he didn't mean to get him I'm in the sorry, face. but if you're, if you're wrestling and doing all that sorts of crap, then if you happen to grab someone in the eye accidentally, tough luck. Fair enough. Uh, Roko, one for you, mate. The Tigers planning a double swoop on Giants' guns out of contract stars. Well, Taranto is Hopper, isn't? But they're planning a swoop on both of those players. Does that give you further proof that the AFL has an equalisation issue? Yeah, I reckon it does. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the way player movement's been loosened up, but I think that's been a consequence of it, particularly when you look at free agency. When you remember when that came in back in, what was it, 2010? Or Gary Ablett was the first, yeah. wasn't he? And it was all, they made a big song and dance about this will help the struggling mm. clubs pick up star players, and it hasn't. Mm. By far, the bulk of the traffic of stars has gone to no, clubs it's, it's made who, it worse. who could cash in on it. Absolutely, it has. And I think what the other thing that happens now is um, when a player says, I want out, clubs are far less inclined to dig their heels in and fight because, A, they'll waste time and it'll stop them getting other players, and, and B, there are far more mechanisms to get players now. So... Basically, there's hardly a player now who, when he says, I want out, the club won't go, yeah, okay, see you later. So, you know, five years ago, GWS might have said to um, whichever one of them isn't the restricted free agent, no, you're not. You know, you're going to honour your, your, your deal. Um, so that's changed. And the, the other mechanisms have, have changed around it. I don't know how they redress the equalisation issue because... Free agency basically came in because they were worried about someone challenging the whole player movement system legally. Yeah. And now you've got all these avenues of player movement. How do you then reimpose what are in effect, you know, socialistic sort of measures, which is sort of ironic in itself because I think if you look back in a really big picture sense, the draft and salary cap saved our game in the mid-80s and socialism has saved football (laughs) and now we've gone away from that and it's struggling again. Um, It's a real case of the rich getting richer and this is what what seems to happen and I know it's not the exact same but the the similarity I think back to uh, a few years back was when Hawthorne had Sam Mitchell, Luke Hodge, Jordan Lewis all retire slash leave and they were able to just bring in Tom Mitchell and Jaeger O'Meara. It's like, yeah. okay, we've just replenished our midfield stocks. And it looks like Richmond's going to be able to do the similar thing Well, even, even before that, when the Hawks were winning flags and were able to get Brian Lake well, yeah. and then Ben McAvoy yeah. and, you know, like it's, yeah. yeah. No, it's just, it's, to your point, it was brought in for equalisation and it's done anything but. It's created a, a, a greater gulf between the top teams and the bottom. Yeah. Tanner Bruin also potentially on the way out. So it's like the Giants can't even escape this. Yeah, could issue. I just a point on that? Uh, ten, I saw that Tanner Brown, sorry. I thought, that is the least surprising trade request in the history of football. Because his I facial still, expression? I still remember yeah. when he was drafted, his facial expression. It was, I've never seen a guy less happy. Steph Curry to the Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> Jake, Liam's stock is delisting is one of the most head-scratching in recent times. It's head-scratching if you don't, look deeper and I think on the surface a lot of people are laughing at Carlton um, and obviously in hindsight it, it, it doesn't look great and the, the Blues would have liked to, for it to go another way but it's a completely different team now that's that's making these decisions as to the one that made that decision on draft night to give up the to swap picks with the Crows um, and give up the house for him so to speak so the fact that he's 
had a couple of seasons and hasn't really impressed as a midfielder or a defender. I'm as a Carlton supporter, I'm comfortable with them saying we're not we we don't see you as part of our future. We're parting ways now. If because if the, they don't see him as part of the future, what's the point in hanging on to him just to save face because you you went all out for him a few years back? So I think it's I think they're doing the right thing. But yeah, it it obviously wasn't the right decision on the day. But you can't blame the who's currently making these calls because they were not the same. It was not the same people. I think he has the potential to become a really good player. So they saw him clearly as a in and under. Uh, contested ball-winning midfielder when they drafted him, but he never sort of became. Yeah. Uh, he'll, it, it was... he'll play. He will play for an, another club. He'll he'll go to another club. I'm well, confident. Um, Essendon are apparently interested in him. Yeah, I'd be surprised if he didn't pick, get picked up by another club. And the Blues but... are stacked in the middle as well, so they probably. Yeah, it, it's Carlton's strong strongest area of the ground, and at full strength, Carlton does have one of the the deepest midfields. So yeah, he he's, he was always going to struggle to crack into that, and wasn't showing that he could play um, as a halfback type player. Or, or, or you know, mid-sized defender. So stats yeah. for halfbacks as well. Nick Newman will come back yeah. next season too. So, um, guys, that's all we've got time for. Huge week of footy, Cats v Lions, as we said, and the Swans and the Maggies on Saturday. We'll return next week to review those games and look ahead to the grand final as well. Before that, though, we have a special Brownlow podcast as well. Jake coming later in this later this week. Uh, we do. Brownlow's been moved to Sunday. Sunday night, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, not uh, not too happy about that, I must admit. But we're one day closer to learning who wins, and it's always my favourite event of the night of the of the year. Now, can I, well, can I just? I've got to, I've got to pick you up on this. I heard a very nasty rumour that you said if you were given a choice, you could only watch one of either the grand final or the Brownlow. You would pick the Brownlow. Is that true? That is true. What what am I missing here? Like the grand final, mate. It's the culmination. <laughs> of six months of thrilling football action. It I'll take two a, prelims over the, over the brown. And, and you, you want to watch blokes in tuxes and the wags and the red carpet. It is, yeah. mate, I've been to the Brownlow like 20 times. It is the most overrated event on the social calendar. It's boring as you know what to watch. Can we get what this is guy? Polar what, what, what is wrong with back. you? You're giving up a grand final for that? Look, I might be going a little a little over the top, but I do love the Brownlow. It's, it's, it's a great... Event and I, I, yeah, I, I think the Brownlow Medal for me and a lot of people disagree because all oh, the umpires, it's a midfielders award. But yeah, the midfielders are the best players in the league, and I think it is such, it is the highest honour to win that award in, well, in our well, game. Well, I think football is a team game, and it's about team, and this just portrays you as a selfish individual. Would you rather Jake. win a premiership or a Brownlow? Oh, it's just no question at all. I'm a team player, Jake. So you can be a Jason Castagna. I'll be uh, Paddy Dangerfield. Well, right, I've no got worries. three, mate. And you've got none. <laughs> yeah, but no one knows who you are. <laughs> <laughs> they do on Instagram. I'm pretty popular. <laughs> Roko, you got to listen to the podcast this week, then. It's a special edition and a really big uh, potty episode for us every year. So stay tuned to I'm that. I'm going to dress up in week. my tux to listen to Don't it. Don't worry. I'll be I'll be tuxing all on uh, Sunday night. We look forward <laughs> to that, guys. Hey, Christian, thanks for coming as always. Roko, yourself as well. Good stuff. And Jake, thank you, everyone. We'll see you next week. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.